America, my name is Aramio Se Frimpong, and I'm coming to you live every Friday about this time. It's New Year's Day, it's 2021, and the people want to know why I am not a feminist. Now, I will say I was a feminist, and then I started reading more feminists, and then I was an intersectional feminist until I actually read Bell Hooks, Kimberly Crenshaw, and uh, Patricia Collins. Sylvia Winter? Winter? I'm good with. Um, I think she's got a lot going on and I think she gets a lot of things that other people miss. But, um, so like I was a feminist until I read feminists and then I was an intersectional feminist until, um, uh, and I was an intersectional feminist until I read intersectional feminism, but then I ran Angela Davis's work. Uh, and I was like, this is really good, but this was the work back when she was a communist. <laughs> the work when she was a communist was great. The work when she was a feminist, I, I don't, I'm not a huge fan of. I, so why am I not a feminist? Uh, it's not out of ignorance. It's like I've, I've done the reading. Like I've, everything from the, the initial suffragette debates to, like I said, you know, the varieties of, of feminism through, through the years. And um, there, there are a few things going on. One, we need to look at the possibility that all right so all these feminisms not all of them like i said winter kind of gets around this a little bit but all presume that there's some sort of natural moral superiority of women and there's some sort of natural moral superiority of women either it's naturalized or it's so acculturated it'll never be unacculturated uh the problem is i know too many vicious women especially elite women uh and and so like that kind of was a little bit off so that's one thing. And either you say you can do it directly by saying, well, you know, uh, uh, women are just sugar and spice and everything nice. And, uh, or you could do it indirectly and say like, well, men are just bad. <laughs> and the default is then like women are, women are good. So, so there's, you got to watch out for the presumed moral superiority. And it's naturalized, which means it's not going to be accountable. You can't account of reason or like there's no, not going to be an argument for it. It's just going to be like, obviously. So it's going to be that. But that's, that's not the, the biggest thing, right? The biggest, I mean, that's, that's going to be a problem because it actually includes the biggest thing because we've assumed the natural uh, moral superiority of women. We're going to miss a lot of like abuse, especially like child abuse. And that's, that's a problem as a person who cares about abuse. But also, um, even if you get around the natural, the, the assumption that, that women are naturally superior or are less violent, because like I know about cheetahs, I know about like like black widows, like I like I don't this idea that women are less violent because of nature is just ridiculous. Because you look at nature and you know male lions don't hunt, like the killing is done by women. So um, I don't I don't I don't understand why people like go to nature to look at because nature is ambivalent, but also. Uh, and you can say like, well, look at history. And the funny thing about history is that once again, it's not obvious that women are less violent. It is obvious that women are not called on to be as violent. So we have to look at the division of violence in society. When it's time for violence, who do you call? Um, whose job is it? Who's like? And there's a way in which I mean, you can give some evolutionary arguments about this, about how like, look. Women are vulnerable and they have to uh, raise kids. So evolutionary, they would pick for the, the mate that would um, uh, uh, protect 
and provide for the family. And that was like, there's the evolutionary reason about like, about why, like you call men for violence because uh, you have to, women have to be vulnerable taking care of the kids. Right. So like you have these evolutionary reasons. I'm not a huge fan of evolutionary psychology because it's not normative. Um, and it's not always descriptive of human behavior, but of people who don't think it, it, it's really, it, it's helpful because it actually describes people who don't think. For people who think it's a little bit complicated, you have to actually like deal with thought. But for people who don't think, you got to look at like sexual selection matters. And, you know, I'm at the University of Georgia right now. A lot of the uh, students I teach, you know, their moms, the women, have, their moms have a... Uh, have have a conversation with them about like they need to find a protector. They need to find a protector. <laughs> like, um, that's what they're looking for in a, in a husband, someone who will protect and provide for the family. And you could joke about that. And I joke about that too. And you could joke about that, that, you know, um, that's like, that's retrograde. That's not active. But, you know, it's also kind of a thing because here's the thing about landing a wealthy patriarch. I know no small amount of white families, not black ones, but white families where like one aunt married a big wealthy executive and it stabilized like the whole clan. Because <laughs> like, like money's a lot of money, right? So, right. So you have, you have to actually think about that. And, you know, this makes sense when you think about like generic politics, why women as women don't have, especially white women, don't have more progressive politics. I'm looking at for the, uh, nobody believes me, so I have to bring a lot of stats. I always have to bring a lot of stats when I, when I, when I argue about why I'm not a feminist. A lot, a lot of stats. Um, and they're like, well, obviously women are nicer and, and, and more gentle and more caring than their male counterparts. And then I'm like, well, that's not obvious and it's not true. And so here, there you go. Boom. All right. We assume that women have this, these politics, that white women have these politics that they don't have. Um, they like, well, white women do not have good politics. They have very mediocre politics. And like many of them have very bad politics. They are, their politics is not as good as black men. Right. So this idea that, you know, they're compassionate or whatever, more compassionate than men is like, is, is, is false, especially when you're talking to black men. And there's this idea that there's this universal manhood that confers power to all men. The problem is there is, there is nothing that white men and black men have in common, um, like in terms of political attitudes about anything. Like there's like, no, black men and white men have nothing in common. The only place where black women, men and, and white men have anything in common is in the mind of feminists. <laughs> like, like there was, and Evelyn Simmons, uh, Simeon, in her book on uh, black feminist voices, she says, you know, black men are actually more progressive in, in terms of feminist values than black women. You know, I didn't write this. Evelyn Simeon, she did. I, I don't, like, I can tell me what she's... Look, man, like, and there's about 30 years of, of, of surveys that says the same thing, but not that they're more, um, more progressive than black women, but at least as progressive as black women. Uh, so I don't like, I don't, I don't know what to tell, except the problem might be womanhood in a way that we haven't diagnosed, right? And I'm going to diagnose it for you after the beat.
Everybody knows that there's a problem with manhood. There is a huge problem. We got to get rid of manhood. Got to get rid of it because manhood's trap. And it's also white supremacist because um, gender itself underdetermines its realization. That means there are going to be different sort of gender ideologies across time, depending for its own uh, purposes. But, uh, um, and the one we have right now is a colonial artifact. It was made for like to have a gender distinction between men who are white and women who are white and ungendered savages who are pretty much beasts of burden. They had sex differences, but not genders. And that's like, like cows and, and, uh, and dogs and stuff like that. So, you know, black people, we weren't men. And up until the 40s, it was acknowledged that black men were victims of patriarchy. <laughs> this idea that black men were patriarchs without any institutional power, mind you, um, is, is really kind of bizarre and, and relatively recent because we don't have any institutional power. It's a weird kind of, it's a weird kind of um, the patriarchy where like black men get you know, one third of the college degrees live, don't live as long, are more incarcerated, are more homeless and are more unsteady in the job market. And then when they're on the job market, make relatively the same as black women doing harder, like more manual, more manually intensive, physically like intensive work. But yet, like we're somehow in a structural position of privilege. So like pretty much black men and black women. Same. And this is one thing that's good about black women feminists is they talk less about equality because <laughs> they look at black men and they're like, well, we don't want that stuff either. Right. So white women try to pretend that they're, they're about equality, which, you know, is a little bit dicey. But black women, like, at least are honest enough to know that, like, they don't, they don't, they don't, whatever black men have, they don't want that either. They want something better, <laughs> something better than that gig. Right. So, um, uh, and I say like white women are dicey when they talk about equality too, because some, take something like abortion rights and I'm pro-life. I mean, I'm pro-choice by the way. I, I believe that like, um, you know, I believe women should have the right to have an abortion, but that's not a, a matter of equality. It's not like we're fighting for men to have the right to that procedure too. It's a matter of something else, um, which is appropriate, I'm, I'm doing the show. Uh, which is appropriate, but it's not a matter of equality. Uh, so we need to think about you know, how else you can justify it because I think you can, but just don't call it equality. Call it something else. Call it something else. Um, so, uh, but the big deal is the big deal is we are not honest about the perks of womanhood. And you can say, well, what do you mean the perks of womanhood? Being a woman is being a victim. Is it though? I mean, it's, it's being a victim and it's being an oppressor, right? I'll tell you right now, you know, <laughs> I won't say that white women terrify me, but like they are terrifying. They don't terrify me because I'm kind of arranged different. But I know I know quite a bit of black men who are just terrified of, of white women because they're just one nine one one call away from like the huskow. They don't talk to them. They don't mess with them. Like it's like it's dangerous business. I'm what you call a high risk dater, and like my wife's white, so like I'm I'm like I I I have a. a, a, a an appreciation of risk for a lot of people, but a lot of black men wisely, mind you, stay clear of white women because they're terrifying. And, you know, 
and the, and the quality of institutional power that they can wield over the black male body is not negligible. I mean, at any point in time, my wife and I get mad. Like, who's going to take my side? <laughs> Let's be honest. Who's going to take my side? Like, black women won't even take my side. So, like, why, like, I, so, like, the quality of like vulnerability um, that some men have to uh, to womanhood is. And like in, in black man, what institutional situation can you be in where your gender is going to win you privilege over like any woman in the room? So there's a way in which womanhood is a site of power relative to at least some men. And manhood is a site of vulnerability relative to womanhood in at least some men, right? Because there is no institutional setting where a black man is going to be able to leverage his manhood. <laughs> um, and then he sort of, he said, she said situation right now. I mean, I, Raphael Warnock is, is running in against this uh, in, in, in the GA race right now. I, I saw some interesting commercials about him. That might, I, like, I don't know what went down. I don't know. I do, not, I do know that he can't even say that there's another side. He just has to deny everything. Because, like, like, he's just going to be, he's, he's just guilty. He's a black man, which means he's a rapist. Unless proven innocent. <laughs> There's any, any hiff, hint of abuse, he must have did it. Um, and, and, I mean, you look at the, the, yeah, anyway. So, why, when I, when I say that, what's wrong with feminism? It can't go at the privileges of womanhood. And we're not honest about that there are privileges of womanhood. And where do the privileges of womanhood come? Uh, how are they realized? Well, they're realized in the division of risk in society. It's weird to have an oppressed group that is less incarcerated and lives longer than their oppressors. That's not the case with most oppressed groups. Yet somehow women are uh, an oppressed group that lives longer and is less incarcerated in the most carceral nation in the history of the known world than their male counterparts. How is that possible? Well, there's a division of risk in society that's not talked about. There's a division of labor in society that's talked about all the time. But there's a division of risk in society that... Um, is gendered and is not talking about, not talked about. When I talk about this with my students, I always ask them, all right, so how many of you went to prom? All the white people say yes. All right, so how many of you guys, except for this pandemic year, how many of you guys asked out their prom date? All the white guys keep their hands up. All the white women put their hands down unless they're gay or something weird. Uh, or, no, or like, not weird as in like bad, weird as in like abnormal. Um, and then how many of you guys were asked out by your prom date? And then all the white women... Um, uh, put their hands up and all the white guys put their hands down. And then I ask, uh, how many of you guys would ask out your prom date if that's what it came to? And then like a lot of the white women put their hands down. So I'm like, all right, so there's a burden that was taken on by your prom date that you didn't assume and, don't, and you wouldn't think you should have to assume. So where does that entitlement come from? And what does that entitlement mean? And that is just the tip of the iceberg of the division of risk in society. But I think it's a good way to get in to people who think that there is no division of risk in society. Now, for black relationships, and this is, once again, this plays out in my class too. It's not, like, no. Nah. <laughs> like, this isn't right. Like, the, like the division of, of any, 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 
Any person who is marrying a black guy for a, to be a protector and provider is deluded or confused or thinks they're white. Like, or doesn't know what it means to be black in the United States. If you marry a black guy, it's and but you expect them to be a protector and a provider, like I like I don't know what to tell you. I think you've been watching too many Shonda Rhimes shows, or <laughs> or like you or somehow like you don't know what it means to be black. You marry black guys for other reasons, lots of other reasons. Protection and provision is not one of them, um, because that's like that means institutional power. Black guys don't have it. But they have other things, other things. So marry them for those other things. Um, yeah, yeah. So what? Um, so we deny that womanhood confers power. Even though we know that, like, if any white woman ever said anything against me. I remember that I, like, I just... Yeah, anyway, if any white woman ever said anything against me, like the presumption is just that I, not only that I did it, it's not like I did it in the same way that Bill Clinton raped uh, uh, Juanita Broderick or Joe Lieberman assaulted uh, Tara Reid, which they did. Uh, I must have done it because like it's, like, it's, it's unconscionable or like it's, it's impossible to believe that I didn't do it. I'll be honest, I didn't do it. Whatever, whatever somebody, somebody, whatever somebody says I did, I, I didn't do it. I, I didn't. But um, so, but there's a vulnerability there. There's a vulnerability there that we have to acknowledge. That's because not just because I'm black, but because I'm a black man, right? And there's a power that she has, whoever that she is, uh, not because she's um, black or white, but because she's a woman. So there's a way in which, for all of the degradation women uh, face, because they are women. And that is not negligible, and that is something that needs to be addressed. There's also the privileges that women have because they are women, which is not addressed by feminism. But, so, except, but it is addressed by conservative women. The best place, I mean, there are a lot of good places to see this, but I think the, the interesting part, the place to start about understanding the privileges of, of, of Western womanhood is, is to look at the pro-women's rights anti-suffragettes in the, of the early 20th centuries. They were against women voting, but they were pro-women empowerment. But they just thought women had more empowerment not being politically accountable. They were kind of like billionaires in this way. They just assumed that like they wanted political power, but not by public means. And they had it more by being assumed not to be political animals. So as soon as women stop being political animals, then they can leverage their moral authority. But as soon as they're political animals, then they have to be accountable in the same way men does, and they don't want that messiness, right? So this is the uh, anti-suffragettes, pro-women rights movement. And so this is like um, elite women, moderate elite women, and then aspirationally elite women who wanted to preserve the perks of womanhood without, have, without the public accountability of being, uh, you know, uh, a, a, an out there political actor, right? So um, th this is very, it's a very good place to start when because um, ac according to feminists, these women like don't exist or they're stupid or they're captured. Women like Mildred Rutherford or Josephine Dodge, these are not stupid women. Like, like uh, Stowe, yeah, none of these, these were not stupid women. None of them, none of them. 
and they were not confused or internal patriarchs. Like, no, they wanted power and they didn't want accountability. And so the way they wanted, they wanted to keep the moral superiority that was conferred over womanhood without having to be publicly dragged or held accountable um, as politically active. Like, we'll let men do that. Right. So like the debates with these women, it's, it's very good. And there's a good book on it. It's called White Women's Rights by Newman. White Women's Rights by Newman. So until we acknowledge the perks of womanhood, especially vis-a-vis like the vulnerability of outgroup men um, and how those women support patriarchy, uh, insofar as patriarchy is a family arrangement of the white family writ large over the political realm, right? It's not men versus women. It's white family protection. Patriarchy, patriarchs aren't about men. Patriarchs are about their clan over against threats. And uh, there's a guy by the name of um, Carl Schmidt. He's a political theorist. Uh, and, and he's got a lot of interesting things to say. He's also a Nazi, but you got to understand that, you know, all political theorists like have anti-black politics. <laughs> His is just famously like he was. Yeah. Anyway, so he's a political theorist. Um, he's like, look, there's, there's this dynamic that you see it in Hobbes and you see it kind of in nature, but you just mostly see it in societies of, I protect you obey. I protect, you obey. And if you're not up to uh, that dynamic of I protect, you obey, then someone else will either threaten you and either you'll either um, protect yourself and if they're bigger, um, then you're going to have to get other people with you and um, figure out who's protecting and who's obeying whom. Or they'll like, they'll, like that's, it's the political function. That's what political authority looks like. It looks like I, I protect, you obey. How does, how is this political authority um, emerge? Has, it's, it's different in different um, instances, but I protect, you obey is the guiding logic. You see it in Hobbes, you see it in, and this is what Plato was arguing against. And if you're in charge of protection, then you also in charge of what of deciding what's a threat because that's part of you know knowing what you can protect right so i need you to listen to me about what constitutes a threat and i will be in charge and take responsibility for protecting right so that dynamic still exists like it's written in like in plain english in conservative christianity about and especially white conservative Christianity about men are supposed to protect, provide leadership and protect provision and provide leadership. And like, it's complete trash. But the idea is that, um, that's like what manhood is. But the idea is also that it's not like the women under this protection are necessarily fighting it. Right. So we have to stop pretending that and you know some of my students once i get them honest they're like honest about like okay so plan b is marrying a rich guy but like plan a is to be a professional woman and if i can't be a professional woman then like you know whatever or i want to be a photographer and the best way to be a photographer is to marry an engineer so like 
Oh, uh, I want to be a real estate agent. The best way to be a real estate agent is is to marry a dentist, right? So, um, and I'm, oh, I want to be a real estate agent. And if I happen to meet a rich guy uh, be, as a real estate agent, that's fine. Oh, I want to be a doctor. And the best way to marry be a doctor, uh, I want to marry a doctor. And the best way to marry a doctor is to go to med school. There are a lot of schemes that um, that you know people who take womanhood very seriously. <laughs> like have going on in the back of their mind to leverage what it means to be a woman to a kind of a nice life. Right. So, and this is, and like the feminists will say this is a plan B or the, 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 the most shallow feminists will say this is a plan B. The, the hardcore feminists will say this isn't a plan at all. A lot of them are lying or a lot of them are saying this isn't a plan. And then oops, kind of marry some guy with six figures by mistake. I didn't know. I didn't plan it. Yeah, well, it just kind of happened to work out that <laughs> you have this uh, pretty cushy life now. So, um, are we gonna are we gonna besmirch or uh, disparage the people who actually planned it? <laughs> no, because they were just leveraging like what womanhood means in this patriarchal society, right? So, especially white womanhood, but aspirational womanhood is the same thing as white womanhood. So, um. So women are vulnerable in like a thousand ways, but they also have perks in society and a few a very important hundred ones. So if you're just a person and you're thinking like as a guy, you're thinking, I got to get a job on the private labor market. I got to get a job in the labor market. There is no marrying well. And if you look at um, or attaching well or expecting people to be nice to me because I'm cute or whatever, like that's that's just not that's just not male life. So like if you look at um if you look at the data on on marriage and who marries whom guys will marry anything hot they'll just marry they'll 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 like they'll just marry it's it's all over the place if you look at women they do not marry down <laughs> like they marry the same or they marry up or if they're black they just don't marry at all because like there's only down so um so women do not marry down they marry the same they marry up Guys will marry all over the place. So one of the perks of womanhood is that you can look at the private labor market, think, oh, this is cool. And then if it turns out that it's not as cool as maybe you thought it was, maybe being a lawyer isn't like Ally McBeal or whatever, you could always marry a partner. <laughs> you could always marry another lawyer. So like there is um, the, the labor market, and this is also why I, I think, now this is, hasn't been sourced as well as some of the other things I've said. I think there's something anti-labor about feminism that's deep. It's not just an accident that, that um, let me just say that feminist labor politics is wanting in my esteem. I think there's an aspect that's anti-labor uh, because what womanhood confers is either the, um, the either flexibility in the labor market to either go into it or not, or, uh, yeah, the, the flexibility. So like you can say like, no, I'm a professional woman. I, I want to have a job. It's very important to me to, to do this, but you don't have to, if it turns out that it's not what you thought it was, then you could do this other thing. You could service Chad. So you have options and one thing we know about feminists is they don't want to give up options. So if I'm saying that when the revolutionary comes, we're going to have to cut down that option. You can't sleep with your boss if you, don't want, to, if you want to quit work. They're like, no, I want, the, I, want the, I want the choice to either, 
you know, I want, I want, I want the Claire, Kamala Harris plan. I want to either sleep with Willie Brown or do this other thing. I want the choice when I want to move. I want to, <laughs> I want, I want the, I want a little bit of flexibility. And I'm saying that when the revolution comes, you might not have the flexibility. They're going to get really upset and might put some counter-revolutionary BS um, against like a better, a more fair like labor situation, right? So the private labor market opens up like what a job is in society is fundamentally different along genders and forget. And, and that's not just what a job is, which jobs are jobs, right? Fundamentally different in a way that we aren't honest about. Some of it's works in women's uh, detriment. Some of it works in women's favor, right? We don't draft women. Like I said, the division of risk in society is uh, not negligible, right? And we've gendered risk male. We've gendered some work female, but we've gendered a lot of risk male. And unless you talk about the division of, of risk, as well as you talk about the division of labor, you're missing a whole half of the scenario, right? So when we talk about the I protect, you obey um, dynamic that governs patriarch, patriarchy, we have to look at some of uh, the way feminists want to get rid of the I uh, you obey part without even acknowledging the responsibility that men take on in protecting, which is not negligible and not always like voluntary. Like some guys don't want to wake up in the middle of the night and check downstairs if like, 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 like <laughs> they don't want to kill the mouse. Like you take care of that. I'm not bothered by the mouse. You're the one who wants a mouse. You go get it. Like, <laughs> like there are like, there are these small little things that it's just assumed um, that men are supposed to take risks. I remember the first woman who expected me to protect her honor, and I'm like, you can handle yourself. Protect your honor. What are you talking about? I'm busy. <laughs> I was like, why didn't you pack me up? Well, one, you were wrong. <laughs> I can't remember the situation, but it was some situation. She was wrong, and like, I was just like, well, I guess you're gonna, I'm, I, I let her off, because she was, I let her kind of be wrong by herself, and she expected me to get her back, and I'm like, what are you talking? Like, what? I just, you should be lucky that I didn't admit that you were wrong. So I'm going to call, I guess, Depending on who you talk to, I'm a bad man. I'm bad at I'm bad at manhood, but like I'm good at truth. And uh, and she she got mad at me because I wasn't protecting her honor, even though she was wrong. I guess that's that's an entitlement that I don't. You're not going to get in a relationship with me. So get in the business of getting right or keeping quiet and listening. So um, so the entitlements of womanhood that are elided by feminists, they they don't exist. Apparently, Ashley Judd has only ever been harassed. She's never gotten a job because of her looks and sex appeal. She's only ever been harassed by it because of it. Like, that's... <laughs> Apparently, like, the option of smiling your way or sleeping your way or marrying your way to, like, a comfortable life isn't really um, a thing. And just the option. I'm not saying women take it. I'm just saying that if you expect women to fight against it, like, you are naive. And this is why when the, when the racial justice happens, when the labor justice happens, women will not be on the right. Like, they'll be split. And I think more of them will be on the wrong side. There's one, like, one of the reasons why the best pro-labor candidates, like, get killed, um, uh, you know, in presidential elections is that women don't care about labor. Like, not organized labor in the same way. And you say, oh, sexist. Well, yeah. But it's also the truth that like a job means something when you can marry out of it 
or when you don't have to actually make that much money because your husband makes a whole dollar. So like the labor, labor means something different to people who aren't like who need, who don't need to actually get a job. Um, like through an interview process. That's not a date. <laughs> uh, so the option to either go into, yeah, so like it means something different. So yeah, so feminist politics isn't that serious about labor. It's not. Like they have other things on their mind. Um, like, like if they were black women, and all, this is why, like I said, feminist politics don't really care if black women have access to a good job or even universal childcare. They do care if they have access to a, an abortion, though. So, like, ah, I have problems with that. But that's, like, when I fight for women, I fight for them to have good jobs. I want them to have access to the abortion, too. But I, I, I think they need access to a secure, good job and universal childcare. And I think we should have $900 a month child stipends. That means $900 per kid you can just get in, in, to raise your kid because it takes money to raise kids. Well, and by the way, it also takes money to keep me around because depending on who you talk to, talking like this makes me down white unemployable, right? Uh, because, you know, the conservative people don't want me because I want to destroy manhood and womanhood. And the feminists don't want me because I think femi feminism is a one-sided racket that will actually always emerge in a way that's a problem for justice, especially racial and labor justice, right? So both sides, I'm alienating, so I need you people if you want me to keep talking my truth yet still like you know pay for my kids music lessons and all that stuff to go to www.funkyacademic.com and kick in 515 or 50 dollars a month because i like the monthlies because that way i can budget and uh because like you know you want me to continue to be a free negro and um yeah and i want to keep doing this so go to www.funkyacademic.com and kick in. So the big deal is that we have to acknowledge that womanhood comes with perks, comes with a lot of punishments, and we need to address those punishments, but it also comes with perks. So what we need to do is just dismantle all, and these perks are protected by the women who engage, like who, who revel off those perks. These women are not confused, they're not stupid. They might be wrong, but they're not stupid, and they're not irrational, and they're not crazy. They want to keep the perks of womanhood. Right. Like that's and so if you deny that there are perks to womanhood, then you're already distorted. And with those perks come power, and those pa and that power becomes power over the pores. Over because when you talk about what you have access to is someone else protecting and providing for you, who are they protecting you from? Right? Who are they protecting you from? Who are they provide? Who are they exploiting in order to provide for you, black people? So when white guys are offering white women protection and provision, and white women are being like, "That sounds good. I don't like the obeying part totally, but like I like being protected." Who do you think they're protecting them from? Who do you think they're 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 exploiting to providing? The the promise in the white family is that. Um, that you take you <laughs> protect my comforts and who decides what a comfort what what a threat is who who gets to decide what a threat is is that's like that's an internal thing that's that's uh negotiated between the husband and wife and the feminist will say like we should decide and the the conservative will say like no the man decides but really 
Um, either way, it's not good for black people <laughs> because like either way, they're deciding like how best to like control us. Um, and you know, I mean, I personally think every time we run for the president of the United States, you're not really running for like a democratically elected office. You're running for overseer. You're running for who best to manage the Negro revolution, the potential Negro revolution, who best to manage that. And with Obama, you got like, Ooh, we got a black overseer. Ooh. And then with uh, Kamala Harris, uh, people are like, Ooh, we got a, we got a lady cop overseer. That's, that's, that's interesting, but it's not, but that's the job. You're running for the American overseer who best can control problematic Negroes. That's what the, that's what the office of the president um, is like. That's, that's the criteria um, for political office. So when we vote for overseer, that's what we're doing. We call it president, but we're really voting for overseer. And when women vote for overseer, that's what they're keeping their mind on. Who's going to let? And because when they, all right, so in the I protect, you obey dynamic. And the feminists want to get rid of the you obey part of it. They still want protection. They still want to be able to call a cop on a Negro. They still don't want anybody to give them hassle about like where they send their kids. There's a great book called Mothers of Massive, uh, Massive Resistance about pretty much how women quietly like kept school segregated. Like that was, that was white women. Like they did it. Mother, those mothers did the job. Like either through local administration or um, through influencing policy, like white women kept schools segregated. On purpose. They also screwed up the curriculum. On purpose. So that their sons and daughters would not feel bad about being white. <laughs> In the South. And then so that their granddaddies wouldn't feel bad about like the occasional lynching they went to. Um, that, was, that was white women doing all that work. The book is called The Mothers of Masses, Massive Resistance by Elizabeth McRae. Very good. Right? So this idea, and they could do it because they leveraged their womanhood. You have to understand, like, General Lee lost the Civil War, but the United Daughters of the Confederacy, they're undefeated. <laughs> they had to take a, a little itty-bitty L with taking some of the monuments down, but, um, like, white women are undefeated in terms of racism in the United States. Like, they get what they want, and, and that's why a lot of racism is laundered through womanhood, because there's a way in which you can police black men through feminism that you can't do through uh, racism anymore. So, yeah. And, and, and until you actually like are willing to dismantle womanhood, and in order to do that, you have to be explicit that there are perks to womanhood in terms of this division of risk in society. Until you're willing to dismantle that, then like what you're doing in, with feminism is just kind of redistributing the degradation of black men about who like it's, if you read the history of the uh, crime bill it's like it's yeah it's everyone deciding about like how to incarcerate black men and that's that's not cool so I'm not a feminist because I think it's fundamentally uh, uh, counter-revolutionary in terms of labor and racial justice, and it will always be so until we give up the entitlements of womanhood. But until we give up the entitlements of womanhood and rebuild gender along the lines of a fair distribution of risk and labor, then any sort of women's advocacy is just going to end up calcifying a fundamentally crappy situation for anybody 
who is not in a dominant group family or who does not aspire to be in a dominant group family. Right. So, um, so yeah, if we were honest about the perks of womanhood in terms of the division of risk in society, and not just like they can't go to the, uh, that, that, not just that they're not expected to go to the military, but just the division of risk in general, um, and how we've gendered it, then we could actually have a feminism that works. But until we're honest about that division of risk in society, then like, if we just focus on the division of labor, we're going to miss why it is that like, women choose to do that work. It's because men are tasked, some choose, to do the risky part. And like I said, I'm always suspicious of an oppressed group that has a longer lifespan and has a, in a lot of ways more comfortable lives than their oppressors. That just doesn't, that's not automatically the case. It's not like slaves live longer than their slave masters, yet women live longer than men. So there's something else going on. So we got to get rid of the bad things that go along with the patriarchal dynamic in terms of um, uh, what it does to women. But we also, and, and, outgroup men but we also have to get rid of the good things that the patriarchal dynamic secures for women and until they until feminists are very explicit about what those good things are and not as something that's like women kind of go dragging and kicking and screaming into but it's something that they eagerly plot for because the labor market sucks and it's easier just to marry someone who's rich and is going to do all that messy work um or aspire to do that or have the option to like quit then, uh, you know, if you're a black guy and you quit, you get, you get, a, uh, you get an Erica Badu song about you. Um, and I, I, I don't know about, enough about, yeah, so, but women can quit and it's, it's fine because, you know, they're following their bliss. So, um, so it's very important that you understand why I'm not a feminist. It's not that I don't think women have it bad. I think they do have it bad. I also think there are particular ways in which they have it relatively good. And until they're willing to give up those relatively good ways, we can't just get rid of the relatively bad ways. And the ways they have it good are actually like end up being existent, little existential threat to black communities. So we're going to have to give up womanhood. And womanhood isn't some like universal thing. Like there's nothing... There's nothing even universal in terms of womanhood, in terms of like the same zip codes. The idea that like working class black women, the idea that like rich white women and their maids have the same, have the same like aspirations as women or the same life like entitlements as women is ridiculous. <laughs> Feminism is always an upper class. It starts on the, in, in an upper class because like everybody else is too busy like trying not to get punished by the upper class to take gender seriously. Um, so, like, and this is why I'm not mad, I'm not worried about, I'm not worried about ticking off working class black women because working class black women, one, are not the biggest feminists and two, they know that like life isn't particularly great for their sons. So, um, uh, and they don't have any illusion that like they share a struggle with their sister, Miss Anne. Like, no. 
Um, they know that they share a struggle with Rufus. There you go. So what do you need to know? I, you know, I hope this is clear. I mean, it's cool that you're a feminist and, uh, but I, like I'm not, and it's not because I haven't read, it's because I have. And it's not because women don't have a raw deal because they do. They also have a, like a good deal in some ways that are not obvious. And the way they have a good deal in the ways that are not obvious end up disproportionate, either confusing or downright oppressing outgroup men where like, because we're just vulnerable to their power in terms of like, they can call the cops, they live long, they have more access to like just the niceties of society because we are degraded. So if we're going to equalize both the division of risk and the division of labor in society, like gender can come back. But if you start with gender, if you're a feminist first, you're, you're going to be, it's going to be a problem for racial and labor justice. You can be a feminist after all these things. This is one good thing about like someone like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez or Cory Bush. They, they'll call themselves feminists, but they'll be like working class black women feminists. Cory Bush is a working class black women feminist. That's fine. That's a great way to be a feminist. Because by the time you figured out the, the working class and the black issues, like have at the feminist ones. Cool. Um, but if you get the order wrong, it's screwed. <laughs> because you're, you're, you'll end up like trying to seek power over like... The, the, the massive degradation over of like black communities, All right? And I'm like, oh, AOC calls herself. Uh, usually, she calls herself like, uh, like a working class Latina feminist, which is fine because like she takes the working class and Latina first, and then like, and then all right, like after we get like make sure that the poor's are fine and have good jobs and fair wages and all that stuff, and like that, you know, Latinos are fine. Then like let, let's let's deal with the gender stuff. And I I, I I'm about that. I'm let's do it. But if you, I'm also very aware that if you get the order wrong, if you're a feminist first, that, that's not good for black people. Not good for anyone. Uh, not good for anyone except those who either are white or aspire to be, live a white lifestyle, which includes the degradation of others and the protection from others. All right? So think about the, what the I protect you um, obey or the I obey you protect dynamic does in society and what it means and how it's not and how it might be pretty good for the person who's obeying and not that great for the person who's protecting especially if they no longer even get to decide what constitutes a threat and it's definitely not good for the people outside who are being protected against and from who are being sicked on I have had no small number of white women this sick authorities on me for reasons just sick 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 they're a sicking bunch <laughs> um just they, they're like the sick people uh and then when you say that you know you like the sick people too much they're either going to denial not the most self-reflecting people reflecting uh, um uh, demographic although a lot of therapy a lot of therapy not a lot of self-reflection that's just how it is uh so yeah, if there was a feminism that took the privileges of womanhood, not white womanhood, but womanhood seriously, understanding that womanhood itself is white uh, as a colonial artifact, and that women's advocacy was women, white women advocating that they could oppress and keep the system of degradation um, uh, as well as white men, like in that kind of public control, 
Like they would be better partners if they were actually acknowledged as partners. And and that's still the dynamic of, of feminism. Like till we acknowledge some of the perks of womanhood, um, and we acknowledge that patriarchy is a family arrangement. It's not men versus women, it's a family arrangement, like including their help writ large, then you know your feminism is going to be trash. And anybody who says, well, you know, intersectionality deals with that. No, it doesn't. Intersectionality assumes that women as women are vulnerable and men as men are powerful. But black men are vulnerable for not being black, but they're vulnerable for being men. And women have power over outgroup men, not because they're white and sometimes black, um, but because they are women, right? So, like, if you're ever, like, if you're ever... There was no situation where even I'm like in a contest with a black woman, like there's just no situation that like my word means more, right? Because so, um, because if the person who's adjudicating is conservative, they're going to punish me because I'm a black man and I'm a threat. And if the person who's adjudicating the situation is a feminist, then they're going to side with the woman because like, you know, solidarity with women, we're oppressed. So like there's just no situation where like I get a fair hearing as an outgroup man. And, and like, like, these are life and death things. Like these, this, this is the dynamic that ends with black men in cages, right? So until we acknowledge the vulnerability that goes with some manhood and the power that goes with womanhood, we'll never be able to legitimize and redesign genders in a way that actually makes sense for just like what needs to happen because of some biological differences. Right? Like, look, because I'm like, like I said, I want, I want a child stipend, nine hundred dollars per kid. I want a federal job guarantee. I want parallel tracks so parents who stay at home don't get punished for the, um, in the private market for deciding to take ten years off to, to watch their kids. Because look, if you're smart at twenty five and you take ten years off to watch your kids, it's not like you stop being smart or you stop like learning how to think. No, you're just you're forty and you're now ready to, to to get back in the market. You shouldn't be punished. And you shouldn't have to compete with, uh, you know. 23-year-old interns. Like, you need a parallel track. So, like, I can actually... I'm just not a feminist. Because I think womanhood as it stands is a problem. Manhood as it stands is a problem, too. But you can talk about that. You can't talk about womanhood. And there's one thing... Um, one more thing, and then I'm going to let you go, because this is, this is running later, and I don't like going over, over 50 minutes. Um... Womanhood is such a problem, it screws up entire disciplines. Like, I have huge problems with educators and education, but you can't shit on education because there's so many women in the field that if you shit on teachers, all of a sudden it's misogyny. Right? Like, and I'm a philosopher. Like, part of being a philosopher is you, we shit on everybody. You're supposed to be able to shit on... Uh, we shit on lawyers, we shit on business people, and that's fine because those are male-dominated industries. Can't shit on teachers, though, because there are a lot of women in teaching, and, and like they don't take being shit on very nicely, uh, and they're not used to that kind of accountability. So uh, like we have this whole profession that's just like actually not particularly thoughtful about the job. Same with mental health. As soon as, like, it's, like, as soon as, soon as any psychology, as soon as any discipline gets overrun and identified with women, it becomes a no-shitting zone. Which is bad for people of my, you know, vocation who, like, you know, help society by shitting on problematic vocations. 
that makes sense a little bit? Right? So, like, I can say things about things that men do. I can say things about vocations that are gendered men that I can't say about vocations that are gendered uh, female. So this is why I can go after CEOs, but I can't go after teachers. I can go after, in the prison, school to prison pipeline, I can go after cops, but I can't go after the, 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 the third grade teachers. Although the third grade teachers are pretty bad. Um, and they need someone to go after them. Right? That's how, because the third grade teachers are women and the cops are guys. So it's okay for the leftists to like poop on, poop on the cops, but not poop on, on the third grade teachers. And that's a problem. That's one of the entitlements of women. They, 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 womanhood, it creates a no-crapping zone over like their civil offices. And that's, that is a huge problem for justice. And it turns out to be this is one of those things that ends, because we can't figure this out um, in terms of gender, it ends with black men in jail. School to prison pipeline. Right? So this idea that since you can't shit on women, you can't shit on professions that women disproportionately do actually screws up entirely like social sciences. Like psychology is a morass, but you can't do it because, and therapy is a morass. Social work is a, is a joke, is a disaster, but you can't talk about it because like it'll implicate so many women who feel. <laughs> and, and like they won't say like, well, no. And I'll say like, we have to figure out how to, to, to justify this profession. And, and they'll say like, well, can't, I, can't we just loudly acknowledge our white privilege? <clears throat> and like, no, we need to talk about like how to distribute power. And actually just give me your checkbook. So um, that's, that's, that's actually the inability to look at the privileges of womanhood and pretend that they don't exist or pretend that women aren't going to fight to retain them. It like actually screws up the entire project of feminism. And, uh, but it doesn't mean that they aren't also oppressed. So we got to rectify that. Thank you. And I will see you next week. If you appreciate the work I do every week and you think that I should continue to do it because I'm giving you the quality of political knowledge and insight that will help you not squander your life and kind of rescue meaning from it, then go ahead and go to www.funkyacademic.com and kick in five, fifteen, or fifty dollars a month, or make one enormous donations. I like the monthlies because it allows me to budget more, and that'll help me, you know, with a marketing budget or getting better equipment that works all the time. Because a lot of, in a lot of ways, freedom means having equipment that works every time you turn it on. <laughs> and I want to be a free Negro. So, um, if you like what I do, go to funkyacademic.com and contribute thanks often comes in the form of cash and the site takes credit cards you know i'm back because people are always say and i'm looking at comments people always say well you know feminism isn't one thing there are different kinds of feminists you should look at all these all feminism and intersectionality or womanism and and look man there's a reason why these alt feminisms always get taken down it's because the problem is womanhood like they're like, myra wolfgang Fantastic labor feminist taken down by Gloria Steinem. Like there are there are alt feminisms that actually take labor serious. The Combine, uh, the Combine, uh collective take labor seriously. Taken down by first wave feminists because the problem it doesn't matter. The alt feminisms are like the Washington generals and 
the bougie feminism, liberal feminism is uh, the Harlem Globetrotters. The alt feminisms exist to give a whiff of legitimacy to uh, like what is centrally the, the project, which is bourgeois womanhood. Right, so like these alt feminisms, sure, some of them might be great, but they'll never be, as soon as they're taken up, like the, pro the project of feminism is to kind of emerge to take out, <laughs> to take out left projects, right? So anytime there's going to be a, uh, um, a real serious labor or racial justice push, don't be surprised when like some sort of feminism just kind of emerges out of nowhere to crap on it <laughs> and to take it out or to just suck out all the, 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 the good stuff from it. Um, because that's what feminism's here to do. Uh, that's, that's, that's its purpose. And so you can talk about these alt feminisms and how they just like, well, you know, you need to look at social feminism. You need to look at, oh, it just, it, it, it would have, uh, these alt feminisms are like Lucy with the football. <laughs> like they like it's it's it'll say like this feminism's different. No, it will always be a it'll always get taken out. Like the alt feminisms actually no the alt feminisms are like Charlie Brown thinking well this time my feminine my feminism's not going to be as crappy as all the other feminisms that came before it and I'll actually be able to kick the football. No, like like <laughs> bougie feminism is Lucy. Saying like, no, Charlie, kick the football. <laughs> um, it will always like it's always a setup. It's always a setup, and sometimes a grift for some of the alt feminists. But I won't. I won't talk about that. Um, you need to just be a revolutionary. Get rid of these genders and think about how to justify or redistribute and the uh, division of risk. You gotta if you can get white women to take on their fair share of risk. Uh, that's as big of a like coup as white men taking on their fair share of domestic labor, and with that, I'm gonna leave you. Like that, that's like that's you. That's 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 going to be incredible, and uh, uh, I'm gonna leave you with that, and I'll see you next week.